Do you believe it makes a difference what a person believes within the spiritual realm? Most don't ever ask that question. Because most in the world of religion, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting the world of religion by saying this, but most would say it doesn't make a difference. Now what's interesting, and we'll see this especially toward the or in the second part of the lesson this morning, is that even those who would say that, deep down they really don't believe it. And if the point is pressed in a discussion, they're going to admit that they believe what you believe makes a difference. To argue otherwise actually would lead to some very absurd consequences. I want to suggest that as, as we approach the Bible, we need to do so with the understanding that it does make a difference. It, it makes a difference what we believe insofar as religion is concerned. It does make a difference. First, it makes a difference because there is an objective standard. Now, what's the difference between an objective and a subjective standard? Well, a subjective standard is one that is flexible. There, there are very few subjective standards, in fact, in, in life. I mean, if you're, if you're going to, to build a house and you're going to go by measurements and a plan, then if the plan calls for two feet, then that's going to be 24 inches. There's no flexibility. If, if you get that off, then, then you're, going to, you're going to find that the, the house is not going to look the way it's supposed to look. In, in my world, in my profession, there is an objective standard. It, it, it has not been left to us to decide whether or not an item of income is taxable or not. Don't zone out on me. You, you understand that. You, you can't just say, well, I, I'm going to be the one who makes this decision. No, the decision has been made for you. There is an internal revenue code. It is a code. And incidentally, as an aside... I've said this before, but I've always found this interesting. The Internal Revenue Code defines gross income this way. It's everything. If, if you have experienced some economic benefit, then you have income, unless we say otherwise. That's how the Internal Revenue Code defines income. And then it, it makes exceptions. But that's a standard, and I can't change that standard because it is an objective standard. And if you approach the Bible and you start reading the Scriptures, you see that. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, for example, the proverb author states that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end thereof are the ways of death. It seems right to us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right just because it seems right or that it feels right or that I think that it's right or that my parents or my neighbor or someone else says that it's right. In Jeremiah chapter 10, you see this idea expressed in verse 23 when the prophet said, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Well, in secular matters, I can make decisions, I can make choices, 
and I can decide perhaps whether I'm going to eat a particular food item, but when it comes to the matter of religion, it's not in me to make those choices. We have a standard that has been given to us, and in John chapter 12 and verse 48, it's very clearly stated by Jesus himself what that standard is. Jesus said that he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like a standard, doesn't it? In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, the apostle Peter wrote, if anyone speaks, and the word speak there is used in the sense of teaching. He is to speak or he is to teach the oracles or the utterances of God. So if I'm going to talk about the church, I need to speak about the church the way the Bible speaks about the church. If I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper, I need to speak about the Lord's Supper the way the Bible speaks about the Lord's Supper. If I'm going to speak about singing in corporate worship, I need to speak or teach about that matter as if it were the oracles or the utterances of God. And the only way I can do that is by going to the standard that God has given us. Also, as we approach the study of the scriptures, we see that there is one faith. The Bible very clearly makes that point. How does faith come? And when we're speaking about faith, we're not talking about subjective faith. I believe there is allowed or permitted in the scriptures the idea that we can have subjective faith from the standpoint that one's, one's faith might be stronger than another's. But insofar as the basis of that faith, there is an objective standard. Romans 10 and verse 17 teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then you go to the book of Ephesians in the fourth chapter and there is this emphasis that is placed upon maintaining the unity of the spirit. We are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then in verse 4 Paul writes, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, there is one faith. Well, that's the objective standard. Who has the right to determine what that objective standard is? If it doesn't make a difference what one believes in the matter of religion, anybody has the right to make that choice. But God has not given us that right. God has given us a standard. And so if there is one faith, I'm left with the question, how do I come to know what that objective standard, that faith, is? Jude, in verse 3 of his epistle, writes that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. For what? My faith? That objective standard. We are to contend earnestly for it. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul wrote to Timothy, retain the standard. Retain the standard of sound words. That means don't change it. Now again, I, I realize I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but, but is there ever a thought in your mind? Well, maybe it really doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's taking us down the wrong path. When we start thinking, well, maybe this doesn't matter. Well, if it's a matter of indifference, if it hasn't been addressed in the scriptures, then it really doesn't matter. But if it's been addressed, if it's been 
addressed in the Bible, then it does make a difference what one believes about the Bible. We also see from our study of the Bible that it is possible to believe a lie. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is one of the most sobering passages of Scripture, I believe, in, in all of God's Word because it, it explains much about why people are certain ways in their thinking, why there are those who, in spite of some semblance of religion, they reject the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 beginning, he writes of those who did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. He says of them in verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Now what God is doing there is God is simply putting before them an influence which is based upon the fact that they do not love the truth. That's frightening, isn't it? And then he says in verse 12, in order that they may believe, or in order, excuse me, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. It is possible to believe a lie. If someone teaches what is contrary to the scriptures, it is possible to believe that. Now, that should be stating the obvious. Has anyone ever lied to you and you believed them and only found out later that they weren't telling the truth? You're capable of believing a lie, aren't you? Well, in the world of religion, it's possible that some are going to believe a lie. And they can be spiritually lost based upon their choice not to believe the truth. This is also stated in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's another sobering thought that Paul expresses in verse 1. The Spirit, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. It's possible. It's possible to believe uh, a lie. And the scripture helps us to see that that is possible. It even helps us to see why that is possible. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul was writing to the young evangelist, he stated in verse 3 that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to miss. Why do people do that? It's because they want to believe what they want to believe. It's because we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. We want to hear what we want to hear. Paul encourages Timothy, don't allow that to influence your teaching because people will believe a lie. In fact, I think it was Hitler who said that if you tell some, a lie long enough, people just start believing. Well, is it not possible for that to happen in, in the world of religion? And then finally, one can be sincere but be wrong in his religion. Is that possible? You mean somebody can be a good person? Someone can be a devout individual? Someone can even practice 
some form of religion, but be wrong. Well, if that's possible, then it really doesn't matter what you believe. But if what you believe makes a difference, it puts that person in a position where change is necessary. Best example I can think of is in Acts chapter 10, the household of Cornelius. Look at how the Bible describes him. You know people like this. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, that there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a devout man. He was one who feared God with all his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and he, and he prayed to God continually. What was he saying? Are the people you know who fit that description, are they saved based on the fact that they fit that description? What if they're living or not practicing what is revealed in the scriptures? Does it make a difference? As long as they're devout people, as long as they're sincere, does it make a difference? Well, if you read the rest of chapter 10, and then you go into chapter 11, where Peter, who went to Caesarea from Joppa and taught Cornelius and his household, it did make a difference, because that was necessary. If it didn't make a difference, then he would never have went and taught. If you look at chapter 11, You'll, you'll notice here in chapter 11, verse 13, when Peter is explaining what he did and why he did it, he says in verse 13 that he, that is Cornelius, reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he, Peter, will speak words to you, Cornelius, by which you will be saved, you and all your household. You mean he wasn't saved before Peter came and spoke to him? You mean he wasn't saved before Peter traveled that distance and preached the gospel? Was he not saved based upon the fact that he was sincere and he was very devout and very religious? No. He was saved based upon his repentance and his change and his agreement with the standard that God has given by which a man can be saved. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul went to, to Athens, he traveled into Athens and he saw all these idols. And then he said to the people when he spoke up to speak to them in Acts 17 and verse 22, he stood up and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. They were a religious people. Were they saved by their religion? No, they would only be saved based upon their response to the gospel standard that Paul would then deliver to them. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Acts, Paul said even of himself, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. So when he was rejecting Christ, when he was persecuting Christians, when he was still practicing Judaism... He was serving God with a good conscience. But his conscience had been trained by the wrong standard. He had not accepted the standard that was now given under the new covenant, under the new law. It is possible to be sincere in one's religion, but be wrong. Therefore, it does make a difference what one believes. 
the Jewish people of whom Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. He wrote in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. That was his desire. That was his prayer. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. They had a zeal for God, the same God that Paul served. It was the God of Jesus who died on the cross. Well, can't we just all worship the way we choose to worship? And can't we just say that there's numerous paths to heaven? We're all worshiping the same God. And yet Paul said, I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness, and it was the righteousness that was revealed through the gospel, and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Well, was that zeal of God, was that zeal for God going to save them? No. It does make a difference what one believes. Sometimes we get away from that. Sometimes we become a little bit weak in our own understanding. And that's one of the reasons why we're not taking the time to teach the standard. Because we, in our own minds, are influenced by the thinking of the world around us to believe it doesn't make a difference. And that the scriptures clearly teach that it does. In a few moments, we're going to be asking the question, well, what are the consequences? We'll go to God now in prayer.